0: Do me a favor of your Bible, turn with me to Psalm chapter 46. Uh, inside of your bulletin is a handout. If you don't have a Bible, it's probably one in a chair in front of you. Pull that out, follow along with me. And uh, Psalm 46 is almost right in the middle of your Bible, so you should be able to find that pretty easily. While you're turning, I want to remind you next week, uh, we are going to be doing uh, a special service. We're going to be doing our, the baptism, our baptism service and the Lord's Supper in community, uh, in corporate community. And we do that for a couple reasons. Uh, these are two ordinances that Jesus gave us to remind us of the incredible price that was paid for us on, uh, well, just like the slogan said, freedom isn't free, right? And our freedom before God's presence uh, is found because of God's Son, Jesus Christ. And so we're going to celebrate that through baptism, through the Lord's Supper. So if you are going to be baptized next week or you've been thinking about it, would you do me a favor and meet with me immediately following the service? Or I want you to go out here into the foyer and I want you to make a left as you're going out. And there's some double doors, some offices back there. If Then I'll be right there. Just meet with me. I want to talk to you about what we're doing, why we're doing it. If it's something uh, you, you've been praying about and thinking about, I want to meet with you as well. So do me a favor. Right after the service, just head there. Love for you to be baptized next week. It's going to be an awesome, awesome service, okay? I, um, I've been doing this series uh, on hymns, and it was kind of birthed out of a twofold thing. First, it was birthed in my heart about, you know, so let me say this to you this morning. Thank you uh, for attending this morning and Thank you for singing out, and as your pastor man, it gives me, it gives me goosebumps uh, to hear you all praise the Lord through song. I mean, literally, it gives me goosebumps. And, and, uh, and so this, this thing has been being birthed in my heart of the, the importance of praise, right and the importance of singing and, and how it, it even though it's an offering we give to God through song, it, it does something to our hearts, does it not? And then the second thing is, is as God has sent us so many college students from so many of the campuses around the community. I've been seeing these college students, then their desire to sing more hymns and these songs that have been sung in church history for three or four or 500 years. And I've been wondering, like, where's this coming from? You know, I mean, why are, Why is there this longing to kind of connect with history and connect with tradition and sing these songs? And the more I thought about it, I realized, you know, some of these hymns, not all of them, but some of them have these, these great doctrines about God that, that have great truth. And, and the reason they're bubbling back up into our community again is because there, there's something in the, some of the hymns that it just, it's the power of the truth that we sing and it just doesn't go away. And so this morning we want to look at a hymn that's almost 500 years old. For 500 years, the people of God have been gathering corporately and singing this particular song. Now, in my home, when my son was younger, up to almost 10 years of age, my oldest son, he always wanted us to sing two songs every night, every night, 350, how many days are there in a year? How many days are there in a year? You know, every night, man, we sang these two songs. The first song we sang to him every single night was the song Frosty the Snowman. Now, you know the deep truths of Frosty, right? I mean, there must have been some magic in that old song cat they found. Anyway, but uh, yeah, and so that was, but the second song we sang every single night was this, the song, The B-I-B-L-E. How many of y'all have sang that song? You grew up Sunday school singing, some of you do. Okay, so for those of you who've never sang it, it goes like this. It's a deep song. It's got deep meaning. It goes like this. The B-I-B-L-E, yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. It's a kids' song, man. And, and for those of us who grew up in church, man, we sang that song in Sunday school, week in and week out, right? Now, there's one line in that song that literally gives me chills. You wanna know what it is? I stand what? Alone on the word of God. Now, I want you to think about that for a minute. Are we really, as a people, are we willing to stand alone? Some of you in this room, you're you're and when it comes to the areas of morality and theology, and you're you're presenting the truth of God's word, maybe in your family circles. And and your family rejects this notion of Christ or rejects certain morality that you come down on because you believe that's what the Bible teaches that's true. And and so your family has ostracized you. In fact, Thanksgiving is coming up and Christmas is coming up and you know you're going to have to go home and you're going to kind of be shunned in your family circle. Why? Because you have to stand alone on the word of God. We live in a culture, church, and, and I want to talk a little bit politically this morning. I've been kind of shying away from before the election, but you know uh, there, are, there are political platforms in this culture that part of their platform is based on sin, plain and simple, and they run on these platforms and these ideologies that are counter Romans chapter 1, which says, as a people group, as a culture exchange the truth of God for a lie, they become confused. And the very things that are now, that the Bible calls sin, we are now saying that is right and we're putting it in as part of our political platforms, saying this is what we're writing on, running on and some of us are voting for that garbage. And I wonder, as a people, are we really willing to stand alone on the word of God? And the hymn that we're going to look at this morning is birthed out of a man's heart who 500 years ago, he stood alone on the word of God, a guy by the name of Martin Luther, And Martin Luther, he literally, the freedoms that you enjoy this morning, Martin Luther had a tremendous influence and tremendous impact on on changing not just the church culture, but literally what he did in the church culture and the way that that culture influenced the larger culture. It literally helped pull us out of the dark ages and move us into the direction and the freedoms that we enjoy today, 500 years later. Martin Luther began to read his Bible, and as he read his Bible, he realized, man, there were some things that the church was doing that wasn't right, and so he nailed 95 theses on the door of a local monastery. He said, these are some things that the church needs to change. The church didn't change, and, the church, and he wanted to reform the church, but what ended up having the church wanted to kick him out. And by the way, there were two books in the New Testament, the book of Romans and the book of Galatians, that heavily influenced Martin Luther. And, and in the spring of this year, we as a church, we're going to unpack the book of Romans. We're going to spend about 10 or 12 weeks going through the book of Romans because this book is so impacting for your knowledge and understanding of the God that we worship. And Martin Luther was driven by the, by, 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 uh, the book of Romans and the book of Galatians, and he came up with a, a line that said, sola scriptura, which means I'm going to stand alone on God's word. And he began to write and he began to un- unpack this for his church. And it began to spread because people were, were, were gripped by the word of God. And it was changing hearts, and it was changing lives, but the, the, the church that had been established for thousands of years didn't like the way it was going. So they, they pulled Martin Luther into a place called the Diet of Worms, which is a, was a council in Germany. And he stood there, and in that day and age, there, the, the, the church and the state were closely connected. That's where we get our idea of the separation of church and state. And by the way, the separation of church and state was never intended to mean that there could never be any mentions of God in the public cir- circle. That was never the intent. But the intent was the church should not have the backing, the military backing uh, uh, of the government. And that's the way it was tied. And so Martin Luther went to the Council of Worms, and he stood there in front of King Charles, and he stood there with the, the army supporting the church. And he knew that if he didn't recant his writings, he could literally be put to death at that moment. And Martin Luther went to this council, and a guy by the name of Dr. Eckin pointed to the books and the writings of Martin Luther, and he said, are these your books? And Martin Luther said, they are my books. And Dr. Ecton pointed to the stack of books. And he says, do you recant your writings? To which Martin Luther looked in the face of an entire nation. And he dug deep in his soul and he said, can I have 24 hours to think about it? That's what he said. So he came back the next day knowing his life was on the line. And this is what he said. He said, unless I am convinced by the scripture and plain reason, I do not accept the authority of popes and councils, for they have contradicted each other. My conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and will not recant anything, for to do so, for to go against conscience is neither right nor safe. God help me, here, I, amen, and he said, here I am. I cannot do otherwise. I thought about that simple song we sing the BIBLE and Martin Luther he stood alone on the word of God and Martin Luther his 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 uh, ministry unfolded in front of the world as he taught the word of God, something that the church, it's hard to believe this church, but the church for a thousand years, it began to move away from the teachings of the scriptures. And by the way, whenever we do that, we get into very dark, very evil places. It is the word of God that gives us truth. It's the word of God that tells us what we can build on that will last. And it is out of that 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 Martin Luther wrote this song, that many believe was birthed out of his understanding of Psalm chapter 46 that we're going to look at here this morning. But he wrote this Psalm, he said, a mighty fortress is our God. A what? Anybody know? A bulwark. Some of y'all don't know, so that's good. I'm introducing you to him this morning. A bulwark never failing, our helper he amid the flood, even though mortal ills seem like they're prevailing. Church, we are built on on something that is true. We're building on a fortress, the fortress of God and his character and his truth of his word. And in Psalm 46, the first thing it teaches, the psalm teaches in Psalm 46 is that God doesn't just leave us into our mess, but he enters into the mess that we're in. He joins us where we are. It was this belief that Martin Luther understood that I'm going to stand before all these councils. I'm going to be persecuted for standing alone in the word of God, but God is going to meet me there. Psalm 46.1 says, God is our refuge and our strength and ever-present help in trouble. Man, therefore we will not fear, though the earth give way, though mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, and the mountains quake with their surging. The point is, no matter what you're going through this morning, the Word of God is there for you. God in His character, God in His Word. The God that we worship, the Bible says, is a refuge. That's a, a defensive stance. It means you can run to God and find refuge and safety there. Some of you, every time life starts to hit you upside the head, what do you run to? You run to the bottle, you run to, to pill, you run to drugs, you run to other people. I want to encourage you as a church, we need to begin to run to God in worship, in rest, in understanding, because he's our refuge. He's, the, he's your protector. He protects your name. Some of you in this are worried that your name is getting smudged in the community. I know as a pastor, at times when you lead things and you make decisions, sometimes when you make decisions, are not always popular, and you begin to worry about your name, like, oh, my name's going to be mud. So what? God is the protector of your name. If you do things righteously and holy. God protects that name. You don't have to worry about it. He, he's gonna He's the God that will protect your future. Some of you may be so worried about your future. Man, what, what is this? God is ultimately the one that protects your future. God, God is the one that will protect your loved ones. God is the one when life seems like it's upside down. God is the one that journeys. He's your refuge. The second thing he says, the psalm says, is he's your strength. God is your strength. And, and this theme goes all throughout the scriptures. I could tell you Bible story after Bible story. I could bring up personal testimony after personal testimony where God has been your strength. Noah was told to build an ark. He'd never built a boat before. The earth had never been flooded before. God said, just trust me, build an ark. In that, God was his strength. Hundred years it took him to build the boat. And when the flood came, God protected. Why? God was his strength. A guy by the name of Gideon went to battle against thousands upon thousands with an army of 300. And God said, you trust me on this. And with 300 men, he won the battle. Why? Because God was his strength. David went up against a giant by the name of Goliath. Insurmountable odds. And God said, David, you trust me on this because I'm going to be your strength God rained down fire from heaven and protected Elijah against the prophets of Baal, one prophet against hundreds. And God said, you trust me on this because I'm going to be your strength. God entered into the fire with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. As Nebuchadnezzar raised the statue and he said, you bow to my statue. And they said, we just can't do that because we worship the one true and living God. And when they didn't bow, uh, Nebuchadnezzar threw them in the fire and God said, don't you worry because I'm going to be your strength. If we could go through story after story, and the same God that protected his Old Testament saints and protected his New Testament saints is the same God that you know, that no matter what you face, he says, Don't you worry, you run to me, I'm going to be your strength. God is our refuge, and God is our strength, and God is our helper. He's not an idol God. And I'm not talking I D O L, I'm talking I D L E. He's not an idol God, He's our helper. Uh, this past, last weekend, two weekends ago, we had some of them, our small group and some college students over, and you know, we did a cookout, and we did thanks, kind of since it was near Thanksgiving, we did a little Thanksgiving time, where everybody gave some thanks, and we took the Lord's Supper, and went around the room and gave thanks, and everybody, different students gave different thanks about different things, and it got to my wife, and I waited with bated breath, because I was certain that she was going to say something really nice about her husband, like, oh man, God, I'm just so thankful for my husband, and this is what she said, this is what she gave thanks for, she said, I'm so thankful today that my husband helped me out by putting his clothes away is that the best you can come up with you know like of course I put my clothes away don't I always put my clothes away you know so then I had to explain I'm like the reason I always put my clothes away is I figure I'm just going to use them later this week so why not just why dig through a drawer when they just be sitting right there and I felt like such a sloth I'm like man she's got this husband she's just idle you know he doesn't do anything like yeah you know my thumb on the remote, that works pretty well. Yeah, honey, I'll get to those clothes, you know. Man, we don't have a God like that. He's, he's not disinterested and not disengaged. We, we serve a God who's our helper. Church, I want you to think about that. The God of the creator, sovereign God of the universe, who when he speaks, the entire universe comes into existence, and we know that the universe is still expanding from his one spoken word. Let there be light. That's how powerful. And this God, the Bible says, he's not disinterested, he's not idle. He's a a God that gets involved. Some of your English translations say he's so close. He says he's a very present help. He's he's super close. He's with you no matter what you're going through. And and Martin Luther knew, man, if I'm going to stand alone on God's word, I'm going to need the help of God. An ever-present help in time of trouble. Psalm 46. The next thing we see out of Psalm 46 is this kind of the city imagery. Now, in the Bible, uh, there's this kind of this theme that gets traced throughout the Bible, the imagery of a city. And there's, th- there's basically two cities that are that you can build in. You can, you can build in the everlasting city of God, meaning you do you live your life God's way. You build on the truths of God. You build on the character of God. You build on the word of God. And when you do that, you're building in, an, in his everlasting city. The city's going to go on forever and ever. Or you're building in a second city. In Revelation, we see the city. is called Babylon. Now it's not necessarily specifically Babylon, but it's the idea of, of any time we build against the things of God, we are building in a city that won't last. A city that will be destroyed, if your life is being built apart from the words of God and the ways of God, you're, you're building in a city that will be destroyed by this God who is a consuming fire that Joey mentioned, right? The consuming fire, God, will do one of two things. The fire will either purify you for those of you who live under the name of Jesus Christ, or it will consume you for those who don't live under the name of Jesus Christ. That's why it's such an intimidating passage, because it, it, you know, what that fire does to you depends on what city you're building in. And Psalm chapter 46 says, For there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. The city of God, listen to this. She will not fall. God will help her at the break of day. Nations are in an uproar. Sound like the culture you live in? I mean, you turn on CNN, man, it just looks like the whole world's coming unglued, doesn't it? You you wonder when we're going to war next. You wonder when, if next Veterans Day, we're going to be sending a fresh wave of men and women to fight a war. The nations, they're in an uproar and kingdoms fall, but he lifts his voice and the earth melts. The Lord Almighty, he is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. In other words, there is hope. When you build in the city of God, there's hope in the city of God. God's city is an eternal city. He's built, his city is something that will last. His city is, is something that will never falter. Some of you, your hope in the city, if you will, that you're building in is the city of money. Did you know that this week... The, after the elections, the United States stock market lost somewhere in the neighborhood of six to seven hundred million dollars worth of wealth in two days. Is that the city you want to build in? Man, if two thousand eight and nine didn't teach you that, that's a really shaky city. And we're still the, the financial repercussions of, of the challenges we're facing, man. They haven't gone away because that's a shaky, shaky city. Yet many of us, man, our hopes still lie there. Some of you, your hope, you know you're hoping that some relationship, earthly relationship, you know, this girl, this guy, you know, new, a new love, man, that's gonna bail me out. That's a really shaky city. I, I praise the Lord, my my wife's hope is not resting completely in me, because I'm a shaky city. I can tell you that. Man, I will disappoint her. She's gotta be building on something a lot bigger than me. Church, if, if, you're building a, if your relationship has anything to do with Pastor Sean, man, you've missed the point. He's a real shaky city. You better be building on the God we worship and his word and his character. That's the city that lasts. You did not have to amen that, Marty. Anyway, um, <laughs> and God makes his dwelling in that city. The city of God is where God resides. If you want to know God, you got to build on his word and his ways. And his city, it gives life, and it gives hope, and it gives purpose, and it gives joy. That's why Jesus, in John chapter 4, when he met a woman at the well who was seeking to worship the true God and seeking life, he said this. He said, Jesus replied, as they're at the well, he says, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. What's he talking about? He's talking about drinking water and our thirst? No, he's talking about if you continue to only focus on this life and build in this life, it will leave you one one thing. You can't make enough money. You can't drink enough water. You can't eat enough food. None of the stuff on this earth will ultimately last. It's only building on eternal things that will last. And so Jesus said, if you drink of this water, you're going to become thirsty again. But those who drink the water that I give them, they will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. And I think about some of you in this room, and you're trapped inside these bodies that are decaying, and you live in constant pain. And when I meet you, and I see your countenance, I see, wow, there's a person that has this bubbling spring of hope and eternal life, regardless of what their body tells them. It's incredible. What city are you going to build in? And the Bible says God's city will not be moved God's city will not be moved. In fact, in, in Luke chapter 6, you, you know the story, right? Jesus tells a story of, uh, he's, of two people that are building a building. And he says, the one builder builds this building on the rock, the foundation of this building. And it, it says, and the builder took time, he, drew, he dug down deep. To build in the city of God is not a quick thing right? We live, we live in a world of instant, right? I mean, even, even the cultural and the financial mess that we're in as a culture, like, there's, it's not a quick fix. That's what we all want, right? Because that's what we expect. Like, the next president, he's just going to get us right out of this. Guys, we're talking about a generational mess, and if, as, a, as a people, we don't roll up our sleeves. And by the way, we can overcome the mess we're in, but we got to stop thinking it's a quick fix, we got to roll up our sleeves and go, we're going to go to work on this mess, and we're, we're all going to make some sacrifices, we're not going to take as much, we're going to give a little more, and we're all going to be a part of it, and we're going to get out of this mess. I have hope that we can get out of this mess, but not if we think it's a quick fix. In our sexual lives, right, uh, we're in love, it's just a quick thing. We'll just have sex. No, the Bible says, no, that's not the intention. It's, it's a, it, sex is a gift from God, but it's got to be in confines of marriage, It depends on what city you want to build in. And Jesus told the city, he says, if you're gonna build a house, your foundations on a rock, it's gonna take some time, you gotta drill down. But the other person built on the sand and it was just a quick man, throw the house up. And then he tells the story, he says, storms will come. Hurricane Sandy will hit your life. Okay? It's not a matter of if life's always going to be easy. It's, it's when the storm comes, that it reveals the foundation. And what's interesting is when Jesus tells the story of which house is being built on what, he, he starts out with, with uh, asking the question. He says, um, he says, he starts by telling the story, he says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I say? In other words, he says, if you're going to build my city, you got to know the word and you've got to do the word. Too many of us we hear the word of God and then we don't adjust our lives. We feel convicted. We feel sad. But we don't change. And, and God is saying, listen, if you want to build in something to last, you got to be you got to know who I am, you got to know my character which is revealed in God's word. You got to do things the way I've done them. And the reason that is is because when you do things my way, you're building in a city of hope, and you're building in a city of joy, and you're building in a city that will last for eternity. You're building in a city that will last. And the reason we can rest in this is because, and that's the final point of the psalm, is that, that we serve a God who is sovereign over all the earth. The God that we just sang to is a sovereign God. His ownership and His rulership over all the earth is a sure thing. It's a sure bet. And when we read His Word and, and our lives disagree with the Word of God, God doesn't take that lightly. Psalm 46.8 says this. Come and see what the Lord has done. (laughs) The desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars to cease to the ends of the earth. He, He breaks the bow. He shatters the spear. You want to know what that is in reference to? United States of America. You can't build a military big enough to undermine what God's doing. You better morally get yourself on the right side of the ship because I don't care how many horses and bayonets you have. That's pretty funny. All right, that's for, You're not um, I still think it's funny. All right, I don't care how many horses and bayonets you have. It's not big enough to get on the wrong side of the God of the universe. He makes wars to cease and ends the earth. He breaks the bow, he shatters the spear, he burns shields with fire. He says, I love this verse. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. I want you to hear this this morning. God is in control and you're not. In fact, it's interesting to me when I'm talking to people about various cultural sins or sins that people go, well, I don't think it's a sin, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, well, God's word says it's a sin. And I said, well, it's not the God I worship. I'm like, it ain't the God of your choosing. This may come as news to some of you. God is God and you're not. Now, we giggle at that, right? But we all have those areas in our lives where we want to be God. Hey, God, I don't care what you say. I'm going to do it this way. I don't care what you think. I think this way is best. And the more we do that, the less we re- recognize the very sovereignty of the God that we worship. Church, God is God and you're not. Now, the second thing about this God is sovereign, this, this characteristic of God, that he is complete sovereignty over all things, it gives me a tremendous amount of comfort and rest. We We live in a culture that anxiety levels are through the roof, right? And if you're anxious, what you do is you you go to the doctor, you say, hey, I'm anxious, and they prescribe you something. Now, I'm not here to throw the baby out with the bathwater. There can be a place for that. But I do think that there are some in our culture, There's some that we're anxious all the time because we've forgotten this very principle of the God that we worship. He's sovereign. He's in control. So so for me, and, and this is how it works in my heart, see, I sometimes think when th- something's going on at Coastal Communion Church, like I would bear the burden on my shoulder. I'm like, oh, the church, and oh, man, and I just better worry about it. I better worry about it. I better worry about it. And, and then this verse comes to mind. Hey, Sean, sit down, shut up, and remember I'm God. All right? Just chillax a little bit. <laughs> oh, what about my finances, right? We're worried. Oh, and man, we got this. And, you know, Let me tell you something, church. You're, you're never going to have a bank account big enough to protect you from every financial catastrophe. No way maybe Bill Gates. All right. But besides that, okay, So, just be still. Stop worrying. You can unburden yourself because I'm God and I'm in control. And if I told you I'd take care of you, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to take care of you. Okay? Now, the Bible says, you know, with food, shelter, and clothing, be content with these things. Now, that's another side to this, right? But God says, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to see you through. Stop worrying. We, we worship and serve a sovereign God. Even if you're going through difficulties, here's how this works, Romans chapter 8. And we know that God causes everything to work together for what? Good. The day after Jesus was crucified, what we often call Good Friday, now you've got the next day Saturday, right? If you were to polled his disciples, would you say, hey, man, this is a good thing. God knows what he's doing. What would the disciples said? Well, actually, most of them were huddled up in a room scared that they were going to be next. Okay? See, it's a lot of times it's the darkest moment. We can't see what God's doing. We don't know what God's up to. But I got really good news for you. The God of the universe is completely sovereign over all things. And usually it's at your darkest day that the dawn is about to show the brightest. Because it was Resurrection Sunday that we were like, whoa, this is what God was up to. He's going to bring a dead guy back to life. And we worship and serve that God, by the way, that still brings dead things back to life. The spiritually dead things inside my heart is the same God who resurrects that and uses it for his good. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purposes for them. That's the God we serve. This God that's our refuge, he's our strength, he is sovereign, we can be still, and we know that he is completely in control of all that's going on. So you can take your bumper sticker off and say, don't, you know, don't blame me, I didn't vote I voted for the other guy, because God is in control. You, can, you don't have to overly celebrate this week, because God is in control. The person is there that's supposed to be there. And if the people that are in the leadership of, say, this country don't bow in need of his sovereignty, they will answer to God for that. And, and, and we have great rest in knowing that our God is a sovereign God. And God is weaving together His master plan that will ultimately reveal His gl- greatest glory. I want to finish with a story. We're going to close with prayer. About 40 years ago, there was a church in downtown Philadelphia that was dying. Uh, they weren't attracting new families. They, their ministry seemed like it was just going downhill. It got to the point where they couldn't even afford to pay uh, the bills of the building anymore. And so they decided they were going to have to close the doors. They, they didn't have enough money to pay a pastor, and they just couldn't get any momentum in this downtown Philadelphia. And so, They had one last business meeting where they voted to dissolve the church and distribute the assets of that church to other churches. And at that business meeting, they wrote this. "Uh, It has not been a good year for our church. We've lost 27 more members. Only three people have joined, and those three were children. What they didn't know is those three children, one was Tony Campola, who's a well-known Christian author and professor of sociology Eastern College in Pennsylvania. The second one was a guy by the name of Richard Wright, who became a a major missionary influence in Europe. And the third one was Bert Newman, who became a professor of theology at an African seminary in Africa. And from a human perspective, that church in Philadelphia said, what an awful year we had. But in the the perspective of the sovereignty of God, that God is in full control over all things, it might have been the best year that church ever had. With ministries that are influencing the city of Philadelphia, ministries that are influencing the, the, the continent of Europe, and ministries that are influencing the continent of Africa. Because God is fully in control. And it is because our God is sovereign and he's a fortress that we can run to. And it is the truth of Psalm 46 that Martin Luther, in the face of death, was able to pen these words. Did we in our own strength confide? Nope, our striving would be losing. We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing? Do you ask who that may be? Christ Jesus. It is He. Lord, Sabbath is his name. From age to age, the same. And he will win the battle. Let's close with prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray for the church family here this morning. There's someone in this room, God, who life has overwhelmed them. And this is really good news. They don't have to bear the weight of the world on their shoulders. They can run to God, our mighty fortress, our refuge, our strength. A very present help in trouble the God of Noah, Gideon, David, Elijah, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, God of Paul, Peter. God, the battle has been won. You're sovereign over all, and God, we take rest in that. God, forgive me for the times that I think that the whole world depends on me, and I praise you that it doesn't. And God, is a people in uncertain times, we know that we can be still and know that you are God. And without a shadow of a doubt, you will be exalted among the nations. And we praise you for that. And God, we ask that you would be exalted in our hearts today, that we would build in a city that will last in a city that is unshakable, without end. That as followers of Christ, you know what? The grave doesn't even have final say over us. Because Christ is risen from the grave, the first fruits of a great resurrection. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, this morning we're going to close with singing. While we do that, we're going to take up an offering. If you're a guest with us this morning, we don't want you to feel an obligation to give. This service is our gift to you. Um, we'd love to have one thing from you as a guest. Um, if you give us that tear-off with your mailing information, we will send you a thank you for coming. Um, uh, but this is one of the ways we worship the Lord. It, it, Joey has rewritten this song this morning, and uh, A Mighty Fortress, and it's pretty amazing. So you're in for a treat, Joey.